There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another edition of the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Um, brought to you in conjunction with um, the telephone assassin, Anthony Steers, uh, and also uh, Business Growth Bureau. So, a huge welcome to the, the show. Um, it's brilliant to be back again for another week. And, and thank you to those who listened to the show last week uh, with Mike Pagan. Um, thank you to Mike, who's, uh, if you listen to the show, you'll realize he's a very good friend of mine. Uh, we talked about One Year Wiser. Um, we we uh, decided to have a conversation around um, some of the things that we'd learned last year and some of the lessons. Um, so I shared some of the insight from some of the shows and the guests and uh, some of the shows that have had uh, a huge amount of uh, listenership uh, last year, and also some personal things that came through, like uh, you know uh, how how I had to kind of overcome um, losing my father last year and get, still getting on and, and working. Um, Mike and I also talked. We were going together to up to Scotland to Edinburgh for a few days for a speaking event, but I think we mentioned that we're actually doing an event called the Quadrathlon. The Artemis Great Kindrocket Quadrathlon in Scotland in July, one of the toughest endurance events in the UK. Uh, so uh, we make up between us 100 years this year, so we're calling ourselves Quad 100. It's a little bit of a crazy challenge. We're going to be swimming across a freezing cold lock at dawn um, for a mile and then um, running and clambering up 15 mountains um, sorry, seven mountains over 15 miles, which takes about seven and a half hours. We're then doing seven, eight mile kayak and then a 34 mile bike ride. So really in training with uh, with all of that at, at the moment. Uh, so one of the little insights um, I had, I'd learned to front crawl and I had to, couldn't front crawl at all in, in uh, September. And I had a couple of lessons and Mike gave me a lesson at the weekend and he's, he's actually swum across the channel in the UK, which is a pretty significant achievement. And what I realized I could only do a couple of sort of 50 meters and then I was a bit out of breath and I could do then do 50 meters and I had to have a rest. And, and, and due to the way I was, uh, had my head in the water and my body, my feet were kind of dragging behind. So I was kind of dragging my feet um, with the my sort of technique, and I suppose one of the questions that I then started thinking about this week is what what else is holding me back and what else is dragging uh, me moving forward. So a little thought that you could maybe consider. If anyone's kind enough and um, would like, we're doing some uh, raising money for two great charities for Mercy Corps and Mary's Meals. Who, if you Google them, do incredible things. Um, there's a, a just giving page uk.virginmoneygiving.com slash team slash quad 100 qad 100 uh, any any uh, contributions to uh, these amazing charities uh, for this rather crazy feat would be uh, really really appreciated so i'm um, delighted to welcome a guest who comes to me so actually came he was recommended to me by uh, two uh, of my really dear contact, contacts, a senior executive producer of my show, Tacey Trump, uh, and also um, this uh, last week by a really good friend of mine, Chad Barr, and they said, both said, you've got to have this guy, Chris, on your show. And um, you were going to talk today, Chris has written uh, three books, Step Up and Play Big, Let Me Draw You a Picture to Achieve Business Success, and The Go-To Person's Guide to Success. And when we got talking we realized that a subject i've not really covered in the show before that chris could really help us with is um how to manage your boss uh, something that um i had a lot of experience of in my life and was sometimes successful and sometimes not but a really important relationship if you want to add value and get on now chris says that to succeed in any organization you must get on well with your boss and, and uh, something i thought was very well worth thinking about, uh, really important, is you should put your company first, your boss second, and yourself third. And that really got me thinking about how often people are more self-interested in their job than really doing what's right for the company. Uh, and it's an important distinction I think we need to get. Now, Chris is an, a nationally recognized um, executive coach and leadership expert in the U.S. He's a professional speaker. He's a global t um, talk radio show host. He's an author. And he's someone who really challenges business leaders to step up 
and play big. He's the former president, uh, chief operating officer and vice chairman of um, US Life Corporation, which um, I know at one stage 5,000 um, uh, employees. So um, Chris has clearly got a huge amount of experience in this cor corporate world. So we're going to talk about some of the steps to becoming an even more valuable asset in your company by building a really positive working relationship with your boss. Uh, now, Chris, um, I just think, you know, he, he's clearly done this. And, and when you that, get to that senior in an organization, um, you clearly have to be very good at building relationships to be able to do that. So he's a, he's a very decisive guy. He's a very respected guy. And he's somebody who's led at a very, very high level. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the show Chris Arisi. Well, Chris, thanks for having me today. You're, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. One of the questions I ask, because we're a very global show and we, we have guests from all over the world. I'm, I'm always interested to know, you know where, where do you live and where did you grow up? And um, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up on a street corner in Brooklyn, New York, had a leather jacket and long sideburns um, <laughs> many, many years ago. And I think that contributed to uh, my eventual career success learning how to get along with a group of uh, 40 intimate friends in a schoolyard. But, um, you know, I, I spent most of my life uh, in New York. Uh, when I was with U.S. Life, one of my assignments was to move 900 jobs from New York City to New Jersey. So we eventually moved to New Jersey. Uh, then when we sold U.S. Life in 1997, I started my own little business, uh, my consulting coaching business. And at that time, my North American headquarters, because it sounded very big, um, were in my uh, home in New Jersey, my library. And I'm talking to you today from my southeast headquarters in, um, in Florida, where it's not very sunny. Oh, how very, how very nice. Now, Chris, the one thing I just realized in that little conversation is you missed out an enormous chunk of your life. How do you get from standing on a street corner with your leather jacket and your sideburns to... Um, literally running a company the size of U.S. Life. There's a big, a, a big piece missing there, I feel. Well, um, I did it based on relationships. Every important career decision I made, Chris, was based upon the, pipe, the types of people I would be working with and for. That was number one. Number two was, um, as you mentioned at the, in the opening, um, I never worried about myself. Uh, I felt that if I did the very best job that I could, uh, I would at least satisfy myself, and that would take care of my career, and, and you know what? It worked for me. There were plenty of times I got my paw slapped and got myself in trouble, but people looked at the big picture and said, well, you know, we all make mistakes. Uh, we'll give Chris another chance. Um, so it was always about uh, relationships. I always said, yes, I could when confronted with challenges. I don't think there was a project that I was given in my entire career that I was 100% ready to undertake. I went to a local college, uh, St. Francis College in Brooklyn, New York, with 35 friends from my high school. Again, it was based on the, the people I know who were going there, and that's how I picked that college. I was a psychology major because it was the only class I got an A in. I only got one A in college. Thank God my sons are smarter than me. Um, but uh, And I have to tell you that I got very involved in student activities student government based upon relationships. And it was there that I learned, I think, as much as I possibly could, which carried into my professional career, getting along with people, finding compromise, <clears throat> being able to make decisions, communicating those decisions based upon whatever outcomes we were trying to achieve. And at that point in time, was raising money and trying to get beer back on campus. <laughs> and I mean, did you, did you have like you know, somebody that you really, you saw and admired who really did this well, who inspired you? Um, I didn't really understand uh, the concept of a mentor until I got my first job with Franklin National Bank. <clears throat> and as a gentleman, his name was George Hoffacker. And I wrote about him in my first book, Step Up and Play Big, and in this last book. And George um, had a unique ability that he always looked unapproachable, but you could always walk in and take your chances. And any time that I asked George a question, George never answered the question. He asked me a question back, which forced me to think. And if, you know, as leaders, our job is to get the very best out of our people, out of our teammates. Um, and one of the ways to do that 
is to build confidence in people that with a little extra effort, they really do know the answer or they know where to look for the answer. And that's what George taught me. And that's what I did in my career uh, at U.S. Life and at, at the time Franklin National Bank. And that's what I do in my coaching with my clients. Look, they know the they know the ins and outs of their business. I don't. I know the ins and outs of what makes of what makes people succeed. And the concept that I use, Chris, is all of us, everybody listening to this show, we all have one thing in common, and that is we only have seven inches between our ears. And an awful lot of stuff goes up there that gets in the way. And my job as a leader, as a coach, is to help people sort through that clutter and push the most important stuff up front and realize that some of the biggest challenges we have don't necessarily require require big and complex solutions. So, so what's your, uh, your, your your sort of boss at the, the, the time there, the person that you were just the gentleman you were talking about there? Yep, you know, by, by, by asking questions, um, was he doing that to you know, to enable him to seek out the truth of the situation and the reality of it rather than him maybe very quickly coming back with a, a suggestion or a response? Or was it more about asking the questions that you then came up with the answers so that you then felt empowered to follow them through? Yes. Uh, he was asking me those questions to make me work a little bit harder uh, to go find the answers because there are lots of people out there, Chris, that tend to want to give all the answers. Lots of entrepreneurs feel that they are the only ones who can provide the answer. And when they do that, they're actually hampering the development of their team. Look, leaders have a couple of key responsibilities. One of them is to get the right results through their people. The second is to hire and develop the right people because the single most important variable that will determine the success of any company is the quality of its team. So what George was doing to me was forcing me to think and say to myself, well, yeah, maybe I should have looked there first as opposed to taking the easy route. Now, if the building was on fire, clearly George would tell me what to do. Uh, but in most cases, there wasn't that sense of urgency. And we tend to create unrealistic or, or, or unrealistic senses of urgency sometimes. Uh, but what he was doing was for my benefit and it took me a little bit of time when I realized he was that was his approach to developing me. Mm. Uh, and that, that's uh, you're just talking there about urgency and uh, you know the, the level you operated at uh, is that was that a, a strategy to get the organization moving faster? Oh um, sure. Was it was it was a, yeah, a a part of your role really to set those unrealistic deadlines perhaps or maybe they were just realistic. To, to mobilize everybody. Um, yes. I mean, you don't want drones working for you. You want people who can bring you information that you need to make the right decisions or to make the right decisions. And, and you encourage your employees and your team members to say, look, any mistake you make, we can fix. And I'd rather, you know, you realize that it's more important to make a decision. And if you're not 100% sure, then we can discuss what the options may be. But we as leaders rely upon our teams to feed information up to us that we need to keep an eye on the pulse of the organization as well as to make the right decisions to keep the organization moving forward. Yeah. There isn't a leader out there that can pull his company over the finish line all by himself or herself. You need a team of people to help you do that. Yeah, and it's, it's great that you, you, know, you recognize that. And I think it's wonderful when people like yourself get into those very senior positions and they're able to do it with a real kind of integrity, but a genuine caring about people. Um, sometimes, you know, I've experienced uh, some leaders who are very more, more sort of financially driven and people are kind of the necessary evil to deliver it. Um, do, do you, but sometimes they're kind of successful in their own way, but they don't create a really engaged culture that, that's in it really pulls together. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? A lot of the entrepreneurs that I run into spend all their time managing the numbers when they should be spending their time leading the people who are going to achieve the numbers. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, I used to have a rule uh, at U.S. Life that, sure, I had an open door policy like everybody else says. But anybody could come to me, but there were a couple of rules to gain entrance to my office. Number one is you could never come in and say to me, Chris, either we have a problem 
uh, or I, my response to that was, well, no, you have a problem. Uh, but when they came to me, they had to be able to come to me with what they tried and maybe didn't work or what they're thinking of trying and want to brainstorm those, uh, those options with me. You could never walk into my office empty-handed. I mean, I recognize you could be totally stumped, but you've got to be able to say to me, here's what I tried or here's what I'm thinking of trying and it hasn't worked. It forces people to think, Chris, and thinking people get the right results. That's good. When I used to work for Mars, the confectionery company, and they always had a, a saying, you know, bring me, bring me solutions, not problems. Yeah, same, really, same concept. I did, there, was a, there was quite a funny example where a sales guy called his boss and said, uh, I've got a problem. And his boss said, actually, can you please go away? Uh, I'm not interested in talking to you unless you come back with a solution. So 10 minutes later, the phone rang and he said, um, I've got a solution. I need a new car. Yep. Which was quite funny. It was quite funny, I thought. Um, but it is a, it is a really important uh, thing, isn't it, to be able to uh, not rely on leadership to come up with all those solutions. Uh, those um, solutions, because it's, you know, one man doesn't have all, or a woman doesn't have all of that uh, um, ability to do all of that thinking. You've got a team to do that. So I guess this is an important thing when it comes to, you know, building a really good relationship with your, with your boss. I mean, what are some of the consequences that you've sort of discovered when people don't? Uh, there's an awful there's an awful lot of um, dead time between the two of them. Uh, there's an awful lot of guessing as to who's doing what and why, uh, and there's an awful lot of wasted time trying to follow up on people. It's almost like boxing with shadows. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and when it's working, I mean, I, I think that there's there's that following up, but there's probably also if you don't get on with your boss and your career is important, it's not going to help, is it? No, I mean, well, look, we spend eight hours a day at work, at a minimum, some of us. Why wouldn't you want those to be the best eight hours you can possibly have? Yeah. And part of that is your relationship with your boss. It doesn't mean you have to kiss up or, or anything like that. I mean, we're not talking about that at all. Unless your boss really wants that, then you need to go find a new place to work. Um, but it's all about being creating value. What can And every one of us can create value. I don't care if you're in the mailroom or if you're the highest paid technician or technical guy in a company, we can all create value. And part of the way we create that value is to understand how we can contribute to what the company's trying to doing vis-a-vis through the eyes and ears of our bosses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's probably, it's a two way process, isn't it? You know, to get, getting on with your boss. I mean, the, the boss is trying to get on with the people and you've also should be likewise trying to fit in with your boss. There has to be mutual respect, Chris. There, there, there has to be. Um, because if there isn't, then maybe you're in the wrong place. Uh, you shouldn't stay in a place that, uh, you look, you can only be as good as the system will let you. And if that system is stifling you, then you owe it to yourself. Because I have, last time I looked, nobody has a ball and chain on their ankle. And if that system is uh, holding you back, then maybe that's not the right place to be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so. I mean, there are situations and times when and I've, I've experienced it with one or two bosses where I haven't, I've really, really struggled to engage and they've struggled to engage with the entire team. And uh, there's a, I mean, one of the statistics is that, you know, more people leave the boss than is 70% of people leave the boss rather than the company. Yep. It's a pretty That's important correct. role, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, um, we're going to go to commercial break now. Um, after the commercial break, then we, we shall go into um, some of the steps that you need to take to really enable you to get on with your boss well. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Chris Ruisi. We're talking about, about managing your boss. And, and Chris, um, we, we talked about some of the consequences when you don't get on with your boss before the break or you know, the importance of that relationship to you kind of thriving in your organization. I'm just really interesting, very top line, because we can talk about some of the steps, the steps in a moment. But top line, what do you think are some of the steps that people need to take to build a better relationship with their boss? Well, um, first off, Chris, is um, you have to understand your boss can be a busy person. Uh, and that I had to um, align my boss's challenges with my own willingness, if you will, to take the initiative, stick my neck out, uh, and offer to help alleviate some of that pressure. Uh, Of all the bosses that I've either experienced, worked with, or coached, there hasn't been one that would say no to somebody, I can do this myself, leave me alone. Um, Next, it was to... um, understand his or her priorities and interests. may not be mine. Um, The last thing you you want to do is, um, well, I'll give you an example. When uh, many, many years ago, in 1972, in in the U.S., uh, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission was uh, beginning to grow legs and, 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 and establish its place and purpose in American business. And I went to my boss and said, you know, I think we really need to put in place an EEOC compliance program. And he looked at me and he kind of leaned back in his chair and he said, Chris, you know, I understand, but, you know, myself and my fellow CEOs were talking about this at the luncheon club and we all agree it's a passing fad and I don't want to spend any time on it. Now, I could have at that point taken him on or tried to take him on, but that would have been suicide. You know, if you're in the habit of standing in front of speeding trains, go ahead and do it. Um, so I kind of said, okay, I'll, I'll step back. It's, this is not his priority. A couple of weeks later, I read about a, an insurance company that had a judgment brought against us, brought against it. Uh, I computed the dollar amount of the judgment. Uh, if, if, it was, if, if it had been filed against us, what that would have cost us in earnings per share, which was a primary interest of my boss. He was the CEO and chairman. So I went up and I said, look, I know you said it's a passing fad. You're probably right. But, but but golly gosh, if we had a judgment against us for this amount, this is how much our earnings per share would go down. And I don't know how you stand in front of a shareholder meeting and announce that. Wow. A week later, we started an EEOC compliance program. <laughs> so <laughs> again, I aligned my role and responsibilities what with what were his with his priorities, and I climbed into his world and said, gosh, I really wouldn't want to stand in front of our shareholders and tell them we took a hit to earnings per share that we could have avoided. Yeah. And the third thing is to uh, offer help and suggestions and then also to know when to keep your mouth shut. Uh, Okay, yeah, I think that's that's important, isn't it? Because make sure you don't um, add to the pressure. (laughs) You know, you, you've got to be able to climb into your boss's world, Chris, 
go beyond superficial how was your weekend boss conversations and get deeper into things that uh, establish your your credibility with him, establish the opportunity to demonstrate that you can offer relevant value and make his or her life a little bit easier. I'm, I'm kind of wondering here whether you're, you're very good at, uh, at sort of drawing and using using drawings and pictures to to um, help to uh, articulate information to people so they understand it better would is it is it sensible with a new new boss that when you're you're maybe trying to because i think a lot of people aren't aware aware of this they kind of sit in their own worlds rather than necessarily appreciate fully what the boss is going through i mean would would you recommend maybe people take a, a piece of paper and and what? sort of map out their boss's job and what's going on in their life to get a bit more of a sense of what's really happening for them so you absolutely absolutely chris and the first and the thing i would do before i took out my blank sheet of paper was to be clear in my own mind what i wanted the outcome of that discussion with my boss to be yeah and that would be my goal if you will and um, again i as i mentioned to you before i'm a kind of visual person but if you're sitting there with a piece of paper drawing out a strategy uh, you tend to keep the other person's attention and they can, they tend to listen a little bit more. And then what I always used to do was leave that, that, that visual with them as a reminder of what we discussed. And I can't begin to tell you how many times the visuals that I created in, in meetings with my boss ended up on broad distribution with the rest of our senior management team. Well, I'm also thinking of you, whether, whether using that kind of approach, almost doing that exercise yourself at home. You know, when you start to, you've, asked, asked, you've got to know your boss and you're asking a few questions. And but actually, if, if you start to map out, you know, the, they've got they've got two kids. They've uh, you know got issues here with health, perhaps. They've got um, you know personal things going on, but they've also got these relationships that are important. They've got the they're reporting into direct into the board, or they're on it, so they've got pressure from shareholders. Just just to get a sense on a piece of paper. Uh, of of the world of your boss, because I well, yeah. I, I remember you know, for example I had a I, I ran international teams at one stage when I was in United Biscuits I had teams in different markets and countries and one of my reports um, who didn't have anybody reporting to them was actually somebody who added pressure to me she she came with problems not with solutions and she gave mm-hmm. me quite a hard time um, until I uh, allowed her and gave her a person to manage. And then she came to me one day and said, "Chris, I'm, I'm, re- I want to apologise." And I said, "Why is that?" She said, "Because I gave you such a hard time, and I just hadn't realised how difficult line management is." Um, <laughs> so, so I just wonder, you know, uh, to to really take that time to step into the shoes and start to and to understand that your boss, so you pre- maybe appreciate them a little bit more and the pressures they're under, rather than just focusing on yourself. Oh, absolutely, Chris. And again, in the in the book the go-to person's guide to success, one of the key points is, is to step into your boss's world, mentally, initially, emotionally, and understand, you know, my boss was, you know, we had 5,000 employees. We had 20-some-odd operating subsidiaries. Um, he had 20-odd direct reports in addition to the parent company staff. He had pressures of shareholders. Most of our shareholders were institutional shareholders, you know, investment banks, banks. So that brought on a whole series of uh, challenges. Um, you know, his own personal life was fine. He had two sons, a wife, a boat, and all those things. But for me to be able to communicate well to him and add value to his existence, what I had to do was to understand all of those peripheral things uh, that were impacting him and be able to look for the right moment to, uh, to bring things up. And I didn't try to be manipulative, but... I had to take into account the kind of mood he was in. And I'll tell you a cute, funny story, um, and I write about this in the book. I would have a meeting with my boss once a week. Every week, generally the same day. The day before the meeting, I would send him an agenda, a list of items I wanted to discuss, and there was never more than seven or eight items on that list. And he would look at the list, write back to me, said, this is fine. Or he would write back and say, gee, Chris, take this off, but let's talk about this. So I got his input, and I was starting to get him engaged. So at one of these meetings, and these meetings, Chris, were all at 7.30 in the morning. At one of these meetings, he said to me, Chris, I really appreciate the fact that 
you come in at 7.30 in the morning, probably earlier than 7.30, to have this meeting. I know you live in, uh, you know, 20 miles away in Staten Island, but the traffic getting into Manhattan is miserable. I live 15 minutes away up on the Upper East Side. Why do you do it? And I looked at him, I said, Gordon, I said, I do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, at 7.30 in the morning, I get you all to myself. Number two, at 7.30 in the morning, no one has made you angry yet, so you're not distracted. <laughs> and number three is, if you're not angry, I don't get spillover, where you might kick, you know, you, you get mad at your kids, so you kick the dog. Uh, he chuckled, he laughed, and that's how, you know, it was my way of climbing into his world and creating a situation that benefited both of us. Mm. That's a lovely way of of connecting as well, isn't it? Because you, you know, you've, uh, you're getting in early, you're getting, getting that sort of special time with him, but also by having that conversation and, you know, mentioning the moods and things like that, he maybe learns a little bit from it too, but, but also you're not making him wrong for it because you appreciate the world that he's operating in, which uh, is probably, is a very tough one. Well, and one of the other things that one of the byproducts was whenever he was confronting one of his others, one of our, his direct reports, who were our subsidiary CEOs, and if they had to admit to a mistake where they weren't informed on something, he would say, well, why don't you do what Chris and I do? I always know what Chris is working on because every week Chris and I have a meeting and we go over everything. You should do that. So I can't begin to tell you how many times I was tutoring some of our existing management staff on how to have meetings with their report, with their direct reports. Um, and what's your, what's your view I've been in those meetings, and it's so funny because I'm just thinking about the 7.30 meetings that I used to have with a managing director who, who sounded in his characteristics very similar to the one that you were talking to. Um, it could be quite scary at, at times, so I went in with a few points. And But I, I was kind of intrigued about the – and you mentioned this in your book – about the importance of of being prepared to say you know, what people need to hear as opposed to – what you think they want to hear and I'm interested in how you handle that for me that has worked very well sometimes but I've had you know one or two situations where you know, it backfired um so how do you handle it when you've got you know information that's important that they know but it might not be what they they want certainly at 7 30 in the morning and start of a well, day <clears throat> I took a page out of my youngest son's uh life's experiences when he called me at 1 30 in the morning and the conversation started with dad i need you to be calm right now um what i would do with my boss when i had a difficult conversation to have i would say gordon look you may not think it's my obligation to explain this to you offer my opinion and then help you execute on whatever the final decision is and whenever i said that his ears perked up and if he was going to be stubborn about it, that, that stubbornness level went down a bit. And at least he listened. Uh, but I would, when I knew there was going to be those difficult conversations, Chris, I just approached it right away. I prefaced it with, look, this may be something you may not want to hear. Um, but I feel obligated in my role as your chief operating officer, uh, vice chairman, whatever the case may be, I feel obligated to be able to, to say this to you because I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be caught in a lurch. I don't want you to, you know, find something out that you should have heard from me. Mm. And that's part of the ground rules you establish when you have that meeting with your boss. And, you know, when that happens, Chris, and then when, you, when he gets used to the fact that he knows you'll do that, that you don't have that fear, You'd be amazed at the amount of phone calls I would get and say, hey, Chris, I'm, I'm really upset about something. Let me bounce this off you and please give me your honest input. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I'll see, because he can rely on you to, to, to yeah. Yeah, tell me as it is. You're really helpful to get an understanding of what's really happening and where the issues are. So, Yeah, I had to take the initiative mm. uh, and climb over any perceived fear there may be and say, I really need to tell him this. And what, and I would preface, the, you know, and I would preface the comments. If you wanted. What, what I love about what you did, though, is that you, you know, when you then starting that relationship, is you established some ground rules on the on the way it would be, yep. and that then that's really helpful. Then, if you agree with him, actually, yeah, I'm going to tell you it as it is. 
um, as opposed to dressing it up because you're uh, you're my line manager. Um, is that okay? And and by agreeing those ways of being th- up front, then he's not going to be upset with you in the future. Hopefully, when you tell him it as it is. Yeah, I mean, there was never a time where he said no. I don't want to hear that, Chris. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, I was very, look, I was blessed. I was very fortunate. I had a boss uh, who would say to me, Chris, I may let you step off the curb and twist your ankles so you can feel the pain and know not to do that again. He goes, but I'll never let you fall out a window and kill yourself. And that was the basis of our relationship. He knew in, in his own way, he was looking out for me because he was counting on me to help him do his job. Yeah. And so many people are afraid to go to their boss and say things and preface it the right way. They just they keep it to themselves. And when something blows up, they say, oh, geez, yeah, you know, I knew about that. Well, now you're into a whole another conversation. Well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I didn't know if you wanted to hear it. Uh, I just felt it was a lot easier and believed to this day, to be honest. Look, there's an old expression, Chris, it's in my first book, and I, uh, I'll say it real quick. It's called, how do you cut the tail off a dog? Uh, you Cutting the tail off a dog is a very unpleasant, very unpopular thing to do. And by the way, I have dogs. I love them. So we don't want to be getting phone calls about me being anti-pet. But, but the, what, the, what the metaphor is, is that how many when you have to step up and do something unpleasant or handle something which is difficult, it's always best to, best to go right to the butt and cut that tail off. Don't try to do it an inch at a time. In other words, if you've got a difficult conversation to have with somebody, get right to it. Understand the outcome you want to achieve in that conversation. Don't try to have a bunch of little conversations or avoid it every now and then because it only gets worse. Uh, I think that's tremendous advice. And on that, on that note, I think we'll um, leave it there for now. But after the break, we're going to talk about um, you know, a, a few more elements that are really important. You know, do you um, disagree with your boss openly, for example? Uh, how mm-hmm. do you how do you handle it if you if there's a you know risk of conflict in a in a public space? Do you tell him it as it is in front of others, or do you do that uh, privately? So we're going to be looking at um, aspects as well, and maybe how to handle different personality types as well. So we're back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Do um, join us. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Chris Verici. We're talking about uh, managing your boss. And I was chatting to Chris during the break, and I think one of the things that uh, you know, we discussed, discussed then, which uh, may have been mentioned as well in the interview a little earlier, is that actually sometimes we're just not going to get on with our boss. And, and maybe actually the best thing for us is to move on. So um, it's, this is not about getting on um, with everybody, but actually also but thinking about your relationship with your boss uh, more strategically. And thinking about what are their pressures and their needs and their challenges and how can you support them 
to do their job better and and set the ground rules for that relationship as well. And and I, I wonder, Chris, you know, with with um, line managers and you know, in this instance, you may have been a board meeting that you were you were involved in with with yours. And uh, those meetings can be quite tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes quite challenging i've been in those meetings where people are pointing fingers at each other and uh, and and discussions get get heated you know what's your view in those sorts of scenarios when you can see potentially with something that your boss may be about to take the business over the edge of a cliff or um a problem could ensue um do you um disagree with them openly in that meeting or do you take them aside how do you best handle it well you you, you never you never challenge a boss openly in a meeting unless you're prepared to suffer the, the consequences, which could involve getting getting fired. Um, and if you, that's what you wanted to do, there's probably easier ways to do that. Uh, it's always better. You got to look at this from two points of view, Chris. Number one is if you know what's going to take place in the meeting, that's a good opportunity to air any differences at that time, offer an opinion. At the end of the day, the boss is still going to go the way he wants to go. But if you don't get that opportunity and all of a sudden the meeting starts to go downhill right before your very eyes, one of a couple of things you can do, one is that you never, ever challenge the boss in that kind of environment. Um, it, uh, because in most, unless he asks you for your input, then you have, to do, you have to respond in a very professional way. And if you're not 100% sure, what you would want to say is, you know what, boss, um, I understand what you're saying. Rather than give you an off-the-cuff answer right now, I'd like to take a couple of minutes or after this meeting, think about it, and come back to you separately, and then we can report to everybody else. I'm giving him an option and a way out. Um, to, uh, because you've got to work with this person even when that meeting, when that meeting is over and, the, and your directors, your outside directors go off to their, wherever they go to, their own places of business. You've got to stay and live there. Uh, and your boss, at least I would, you want to know that if, if someone is disagreeing with you, you allow them to voice their disagreement in private, but once you finish that discussion, when we walk out of the door of our office, we are on the same page. I would, uh, I would work real hard with my direct reports explaining why I want to do something. And I encouraged uh, disagreement, but I encouraged it within the confines of my office. And I would say to folks, let me explain why I'm not going to do what you suggested. I need for you to understand my reasons. If you have a better way that I should consider, let me know. But unless you don't, this is what we're going to do. And when, when we walk out of here and people complain to you about what we're doing, I need you with a big smile on your face to tell everybody you're 100% behind it, and our job is to get this done the right way. Uh, I was in a situation, and I described in the book, where one of our senior folks decided to try to pull the palace coup at a board meeting. Uh, I, in that session, while the, while the coup was going on, I just interrupted and said, you know what, maybe this isn't a good time for this discussion. And nobody wanted to have it. I had to step up and take that, and the discussion ended, the meeting was adjourned, we ended up in my boss's office, and the next thing I knew, I was down with this uh, senior person uh, processing his uh, departure from the company, and he expected it. It was a stupid move on his part. He could have accomplished his goal a lot differently if he had taken the boss aside and went one-on-one privately. Right. So, you know what? Martyrs usually die first, and you don't, you don't, <laughs> want, you, you don't want, to, you want to be the person behind the martyr so you can see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I love I love that very most intelligent way that you would explain to people why you weren't going with that decision, and then send them into the organisation, ensuring that they were hundred percent behind you. Because um, that because you know you find in organisations that you can have groups of people who uh, aren't supportive of what's what's happening, and these important um, opinion leaders can can help uh, to you know one step at a time to win over hearts and minds on your behalf, can't they? Yeah, but well, you know, there are some weak leaders out there. So if they were going off to do something they weren't 100% in support of, it would be easy to say to somebody who went to them, say, hey, why does Ruisi want to do this? I don't know. He's really being stupid. I told him not to do it, but what the hell? He's got his own mind, and we'll just do this, let it blow up in his face. Well, I really don't want people like that on my team. I don't want them to, I don't want them to, 
to in any way jeopardize or compromise their values, but I do want to make certain that we're all rowing the boat in the same direction. And if you don't know that about your people, then shame on you as a leader. Yeah, it's a, a great, great bit of advice. That uh, that's uh, oh, you've helped me with response that um, I needed actually to one of my clients. I'm thinking through um, ensuring that a, a key message gets across a big organisation without uh, those those people who are doubting it already before they've even heard it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, having too much of an influence. So um, yeah, yeah, thank you for that. It's really good. Really, really good wise advice i think um you know, Chris, I, I i found just one point on that that if i knew that there was someone who really disagreed with what i wanted to do i would take them aside and work with them one-on-one let them vent let them tell me and then spend more time explaining my position to them getting them engaged and, and, and admitting that yeah maybe you're right but but we but this is what we have to do and i think taking that extra step of, of pulling them aside and, and, and giving them the attention that they really want made a big difference in them going out and supporting the team effort. Yeah, yeah. I think very, very, very wise. You need, you need, to, you need to identify those people and have a, a strategy for them to win them round. Yep. So what I, – I, mean, I, I tend to love profiling. I found that very insightful because uh, – I hadn't done lots of this when I used to manage lots of people and teams. And I, I think it's been very helpful when you kind of understand behavioral traits of, of managers and leaders and mm-hmm. how they differ from yours in terms of maybe understanding them better and not being offended by the way they have behaved because actually you've got, you, you, know, you maybe see the world slightly differently. What's your thoughts on, thoughts on profiling? Well, I, think it, I think it can be very valuable as long as you use it properly. Um, you know, folks who don't understand profiling and, and find themselves getting a report tend to focus on the things that either they see as a negative uh, or the only, they don't they fail to see the total person. I've, I, I use profiling tools for some of my clients when um, as part of the assessment of hiring someone. And I, and I make the point that it's not a test. It's an assessment. And there are other factors besides the assessment that need to be considered in making the ultimate hiring decision. But I have one client who focuses just on the numbers of the profiling, so much so that now when I produce a report, I cut the numbers off and I don't send it to them. Mm. Okay? Because you need to see the total person. You do. Uh, And you need to know that in some cases where a person might be challenged with some aspect, as a leader, that presents you a coaching opportunity if the person can, if you believe overall the person can add value to your company. What you have to understand is, you know, taking a page out of uh, my good friend Don Corleone's book, uh, it's never personal. And if you find that it is personal, then it's time to have a conversation with that individual and put it all on the table, like cutting the tail off a dog. Let's get it out. Let's talk about it and go from there. I think that you know, people tend to ignore or avoid issues because they think it's unpleasant, where I'd rather just deal with it, let's get it behind us, let's move on, because all it is is contributing to emotional baggage, and God knows we have enough challenges just running a business. We do, yeah, lean so in. To answer your question, I think profile is valuable, but you want to make certain that uh, if you're giving a person a, a rifle to use, that they don't point the barrel at themselves. Absolutely. I'm intrigued uh, now, you know, with your with your work. Um, how do you help your clients, and you know, what what sort of people contact you and work with you? Uh, I'm working generally with uh, CEOs, entrepreneurs, um, who are challenged that they were challenged with taking their businesses to the next level. That they found that what they did that got them to the what level they're at isn't necessarily what they need to get to the next level. And what I try to do is to get them, Chris, to focus on outcomes, to maintain clarity as to what they're trying to build and why. Uh, Simplicity is clearly very important. Um, I also tell them never believe their press release, that they are human, that they can make mistakes, and it's okay. I talk to them that they they need to keep learning. If a client I have isn't interested in learning, they're not a client of mine. Uh, I encourage mistake-making, just learn how to make glorious recoveries, and they have to have a sense of humor. So I work with CEOs. I work with C-suite executives. I don't do remedial work. I'm going to work with people 
who have the tools and they're a little bit caught up in the in the clutter of the seven inches between their ears. Excellent. Now, um, do you have a you know do you have a final message on on this area of uh, managing your boss that you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, don't be afraid of your boss. He's a person too, or she. Um, put yourself in their shoes. Understand their challenges, uh, and then sit back and say, "Well, how can I create value?" There was an executive at U.S. Life who came to me one day and said, Chris, I've never done anything that made me look good. I always tried to take care of the company and Gordon. That was our boss's name. And if I did that, it kind of worked out for me career-wise. And that was my, um, those were my marching orders to myself. And I ended up, you know, from director of personnel uh, to president, chief operating officer, and at the end, the CEO of a company that was, you know, doing about $3 billion in revenue. When we sold the company, um, we sold it for about $3 billion, uh, and it was sold to another company that wanted our model of what we had built. Not just me, but what we and my team had built. So, again, your boss is just like you in some respects that they've got challenges, they've got frustrations, and if you can help them address those challenges and frustrations, you're going to be seen as creating value. And creating value, Chris, is doing what, doing more than what you're supposed to do and then asking for more things to do. Yeah, excellent. Now, Chris, I, I tend to judge my interviews uh, by how many notes I take while I'm yep. listening to them. And I've made lots of notes uh, talking to you you're sort of talking to you today. So I've gone a little bit quiet is because I've been jotting ideas and thoughts down. Uh, so, you know, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really kind of content rich and helpful for people. Uh, such an important subject. Uh, and uh, you, you've been an inspiration. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. If you want to find out more about Chris, go to chrisrisi.com. That's Chris and then R-U-I-S-I.com. On next week's show, we have uh, Judy Robinet, who is just one of the most connected people in my network. Uh, she seems to know everybody from the White House to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, you know, the other side of the world. She's, a, she's an amazing lady, and uh, she's going to talk to us about her new book, which is Cracking the Funding Code. So do join us next week. If I can help you in any way, come to Chris at chriscooper.co.uk uh, and um, just get in touch, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.